Well, church, I want to ask you, we are in a culture war right now. And I want to know who here believes that this is the living Word of God? Who believes that this book has power, life and miracles in it? Who believes that this is the way we should live our lives, that we should be following the words in this book? Great, I'm in the right spot. Cool. Did you know that Bible actually stands for basic instruction before leaving earth? It doesn't really, but (laughs) wouldn't it be cool if it did? (laughs) I think it means um, book of books, to be honest. But basic instruction before leaving earth. (laughs) And, um, you know, we're talking about culture wars at the moment. And really what this culture war is all about, it's about trying to destroy this. Everything that God has created and said is good and has put in order, the culture war is trying to destroy. That is what we are fighting, church. And if we believe that this is the Word of God and how we should be living our lives, then we should be fighting in this culture war. Okay, so today the topic for our culture war is relationships. Ooh. Didn't you hate that when you were young? If somebody, if you were hanging out with someone and people go, ooh, (laughs) I'm so mature right here. (laughs) So today we're actually going to look at the topic of being single and what it looks like to um, start a healthy, godly relationship. And then we're also going to look at godly families as well. I've got to really stop the temptation to go into the all the single ladies, because <laughs> this is for the single men as well. So, and I do find, like I found when I was a single Christian, um, there wasn't a lot of preaching on being single and that. And so I thought it would be good to delve into that topic today. So in our culture war, what does being single look like in today's culture? It's a... Uh, a pretty messy place to be in. The world will tell us that if we are single, it is our opportunity to experiment, to try any kind of relationships, same-sex relationships, opposite-sex relationships, multiple relationships. It's our time for freedom sexually and to experience the world. And then somehow in all of that, we'll find the right person But in order to know that they are the right person, we better sleep with them first because, you know, we've got to be compatible. We've had all this experience, so we know what it should be like. And, um, And then, you know, you really should move in together first. Don't go making any major commitments. You've got to know if you can live with this person. And then after a while, you're like, well, what's the point in marriage? You know, we're we're already living together. We're committed to each other anyway. We've got a mortgage and weddings are so expensive and and we see that play out quite a lot in the world, don't we? I mean, that's not everyone's experience, but that's a lot of what the culture will tell us is right, okay, wise. That's in fact people will tell you, use this time to go out and experiment. Use this time to um 
Like I've heard experts have said it will be normal for this next generation to have three or four serious monogamous relationships. And that will be, that's considered normal. And that's, that's the culture that we're fighting. When you, when you choose to make a stand and live a godly way, you get laughed at. I remember, particularly when I worked at Holden's, people had nothing better to do than to talk. And um, honestly, that's kind of true. And, <laughs> and um, so people would ask me about my relationships. And if I told them I was waiting to have sex until I was married, I literally got laughed at. Or people like, no, nah, no way. You're lying. You know, they don't believe you because the culture says otherwise. But today we want to look at what the Bible says about relationships. Because we've already agreed that it's true, that it's the living Word of God. So let's delve into it, if I can turn my page. Harder than it looks. I thought for a second they were glued together. (laughs) Okay, let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verse 6. So it's Mark chapter 10, verse 6. It's a very important scripture and... I think the culture of this world would consider it quite controversial, but I think it's quite simple and puts everything into perspective. So Mark chapter 10, verse 6. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Whoa, I didn't just say that, did I? He made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined, let no one separate. Wow, there's a lot in that, isn't there? There is so much wisdom in that. How many things in that that I just said does our current culture absolutely try to decimate? First of all, they're trying to say, that we are not just male and female. They're trying to say that you shouldn't just be with one person. That's crazy and ridiculous. And that you should be free to leave any relationship at any time for any reason. So there is so much in this one scripture, and this is Jesus speaking, that goes against our current culture. But if we want to have a godly relationship based on the Bible, this is where we need to go and look for our wisdom. Now, is God saying that, is God saying this because he's a bit of a party pooper? (laughs) That he doesn't want us to have fun um, and go and experience everything that um, sex has to show us and all of that? It's his design. He designed us male and female because we complement each other. He designed us to be with one person so that we will be one in unity. And He designed us not to separate from that unity because if you are one and you get pulled apart, 
that hurts. He's designed it because it's what's best for us. God wants what's best for you. He has what's best in mind for you. And He doesn't want you to compromise that. Our flesh would tell us, I want to do it my way. But God is telling you, do it my way and you will have the best. If your skin gets ripped apart and separates, you bleed. It hurts. It takes time to heal that hurt and heal that pain. And when it is healed, you have a scar. So the more people that you become one with and then tear yourself away from, the more scars, the more wounds, the more hurt, the more baggage that is in your life. And you've got to try and bring all of that into the next relationship. And that is not what God wants for you. God wants the best for you. You are His child. He loves you. He created you. He knows you. He has a purpose for you. And he has a person for you. So when we um, are dating as Christians, it's a, always a tricky time. But um, we should be dating someone with the end goal in mind of, is this the person I want to marry? We don't just date someone because oh, they're kind of cute and a bit of fun and, hey, free meal, <laughs> free drinks, woohoo. Um, that is not the reason we go on a date. We start a relationship with someone because we want to know if this is the person that God has called me to be with, that God has planned for me and that I am going to marry. That is the reason for a relationship so that would be our first goal. And the second goal would be to keep purity within that relationship. And that can be really tough, particularly in the culture that we are in, because our culture does not like purity. Our culture despises purity, but the Word of God loves it and God loves it. And it's what He has for you because He knows it's the best for you. So being, in a, being pure in a relationship can be difficult. So what I want to encourage our single people or our young couples that aren't married yet to consider is actually having a discussion with the person that you are with about what limits you are going to put in place in order to keep that purity. Like is it, it could be, for example, we're not going to be alone in a room in a private space together. Like you might be alone in public together, but you might decide that you're not going to be alone in a private place. Or you might set limitations on this is what we feel is appropriate, nothing more than that. It's an awkward discussion to have, right? But marriages are full of awkward discussions that you need to sort out and work out together. So this is good practice. <laughs> Get into the awkward discussions. And what you will find is if you are willing to have those awkward conversations, it's actually really good at developing your communication skills with each other, which is an amazing tool for when you get married. And the other thing that I um, 
when I was going through that time, I changed my focus that if the idea is to find out if this person is the right person for me, then there's no such thing as a failed relationship. It's I successfully realised that I don't want to marry this person. So it's still successful. That's my little bit. Anyway. (laughs) So now I want to talk about what to look for in a partner. And we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. So 2 Corinthians 6, 14, and it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? So I want to talk about what does this unequally yoked mean? And I went to a website, it's called Got Answers, and this is what they've said. A yoke is a wooden bar that joins two oxen to each other and to the burden that they pull. An unequally yoked team has one stronger ox and one weaker, or one taller and one shorter. The weaker or shorter ox would walk more slowly than the taller, stronger one, causing the load to go round in circles. When oxen are unequally yoked, they cannot perform the task set before them Instead of working together, they are at odds with one another. And this is what happens if we develop a relationship with somebody who does not have the same beliefs as us, that does not believe in this living Word of God, but more believes in the culture of today. Let's face it, the culture and the Word of God, they're at odds with one another. And if you are in a relationship with somebody who is... um, at odds with you, that's going to be difficult. And that's not what God wants for you. He wants somebody that when you are put together with them, you can perform the task. You can do what you have been called to do. Like it would be really hard for me to preach here today if Scott and I weren't on the same page. Because in order for me to preach this word today, He had to take all three kids out yesterday to Elijah's basketball game and then to lunch and stuff so that I had space to be able to prepare the sermon. And now today he has to spend the whole time of the um, service in the bull pit with a three-year-old, nearly (laughs) three-year-old, so that I can do this without distraction. So we're actually preaching as a team because we're equally yoked. We've got the same vision He knows that I'm called to do this and he's supporting me in it. Whereas if he didn't believe in this, where would his motivation be to do that? And there could be conflict because we're not on the same page. So what a Christian should be looking for in a partner is first of all, a Christian. So the things that I was looking for was not just do they come to church, that was number one though, do they come to church each week, but... Do they have their own personal relationship with God? And when you get to know someone, you know if they have their own relationship because they'll talk about things that God has spoken to them about and revelations that they've had or what they've read in the Bible. Do they read the Bible? Do they pray? These are the things that we need to think about. Do they serve? Do they tithe? That's a big one because um, if... So, for example, I believe in tithing, so I want to give. If I was married to somebody who didn't, 
and said, no, we're not doing that, that would cause a lot of issues. Or, and if you were having, or say they were, they were okay with it until the pressure started and we were having financial problems, they'd be like, well, you need to stop tithing because in a worldly sense, that makes sense. If you don't believe in tithing, it makes sense to say, oh no, that's money we don't need to spend, let's stop doing that. But when you know the principle of God, you know that when you give, that's where the blessing flows. And so in my opinion, it would be, I can't afford not to tithe. So you need to look at these major issues because that can affect your entire future and your marriage. But the next thing that I'm going to say is going to be a little bit controversial. So while you should have these non-negotiables, okay, um, because you need to have those standards of who you're going to be with, because you're going to be with them for the rest of your life and you want it to be a good time. (laughs) But my next thing is throw away your list. That might sound a bit funny or controversial and I don't know if it's still this way now, But when I was a young, single, adult Christian, um, I was encouraged and um, so were a lot of my friends to write down a list of everything we want in a um, husband or wife. And I did that. I prayed about it. I prayed over it. And after a while, God told me to throw away my list. And the reason for it is I really struggled because no one really matched up to my list. And some of the things on my list, while I thought they were important, they were actually not what God wanted for me. It's what I wanted for me or what I thought I needed, but it's actually not what I, what I needed. God knew better. Who would have thought? God knows better than me? What? <laughs> but um, for example, one of the things on my list was that I wanted somebody who was driven and decisive. Now, my reason for that was because I am not driven or decisive. I hate making decisions. And I thought that this was wise and a good thing for me because if I was with someone who was driven and decisive, then um, that would complement my strengths and my weaknesses. It makes sense, doesn't it? But when I look back now, what I really wanted was somebody to just make all the decisions for me. (laughs) I didn't want to grow in that area. No, don't be ridiculous. I can just marry someone who do that for me. God knew what was better for me. And um, when when Scott and I met for the first time, I was up here um, singing in the worship team. He and his best mate came through those doors there and sat down. And, you know, any new guy that comes into the church, it catches your eye, right? (laughs) There was a serious drought back in these days, I'm telling you. (laughs) And um, so the music's playing. He walks in, our eyes lock across a crowded auditorium. (laughs) And we knew instantly that that was the person that I could only be friends with and was not interested in at all. (laughs) neither of us were attracted to each other. 
Yeah, we, we clicked really well. We got along together really well. We had a lot of fun. We were able to talk about serious things and um, had deep conversations. We could talk for hours. We would go out together as friends. I really knew that he wasn't decisive because we were going out for dinner and we were honestly just friends, not romantically attracted to each other at all. And we're um, sitting in the car and I go... And the million dollar question is, where shall we go for tea? And he's like, well, I'm going to ask the audience. And he comes to me and I'm like, well, I'm going to phone a friend. And he's like, well, go for it then. So I grabbed my phone and I called him. And, <laughs> and yes, we still to this day have trouble deciding what we're going to eat. Because neither of us cares No, you decide. No, you decide. Somebody make a decision. (laughs) So Scott and I were good friends for a long time. Uh, Even once, I was actually surprised by this because after about six months after we met and became good friends, he moved to Queensland and I'm not the best at keeping in touch and all that stuff. So I just kind of thought, oh yeah, the friendship will probably die down from, from there. But surprisingly, no, we would still talk on the phone or send emails. I had to book a, um, a computer at the library to go and send emails. That's back in the old days. Because my parents pay for internet. Yeah, nah. <laughs> and phones didn't have internet back in those days. We had the dumb phones. <laughs> so God knew who I needed and what I needed and... While Scott does not match the list that I had, there was a reason God told me to throw away the list. And I'm, I'm saying it to you today because there might be things that you think, oh, I want somebody with um, you know, tall, dark and handsome, fit and um, can run a marathon, has six-figure salary. Oh, wouldn't that be nice and, and stuff. God knows what you need better than you do. And what God has on his list for you could be different to what you have. So I'm encouraging you to seek God about who he has for you. I remember um, I really struggled in that season of being single. I wanted a relationship and, um, and I was starting to see my friends get into relationships and I was going to lots of weddings and being the bridesmaid and, and things like that. And I wanted it. And I would pray for it. And I would pour my heart out to God. And I, I noticed a pattern starting to happen. Anytime that I was pouring my heart out to God, I'd get a text message interrupting me from Scott. It happened all the time. And to the point where I'd get this text message, I'm like, ha ha, very funny God. And I'm, I still didn't take it seriously. <laughs> But now we're married and have three kids and it's great. It really is. So I want to do another scripture, Psalm 37 verse 4, which says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart straight away. Oh, hang on. Nope. Oh, I just added to the Bible. That's a big no-no. It doesn't say straight away. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? 
When we shift our focus to God instead of our own situation and submit it all to Him, He will give us the desires of our hearts. And here's the other thing. When we search God, He can change the desires of our hearts because He knows what we need. So Scott and I might not have been attracted to each other when we first met, but we are now and there's no one more attractive to me than my husband. And we have a wonderful marriage. And, you know, I had, I had it all planned out. I was going to be married by 20, right? Because my mum and dad were married at 18. I thought 20 was reasonable. Yeah. And um, if Scott and I got married when I was 20, he would have been 17. <laughs> so that's a bit weird. <laughs> and he wouldn't have gone to Queensland, which God was calling him to, to the job there that he was called to do which has now shaped the future of his career and his ministry. God's timing is perfect. He knows. He knows what you need. He knows when you need it. He sees you. This is is my word to the single people today. God sees you. He loves you. He hasn't forgotten you. And he has a plan and a purpose for you. And I would encourage you to just seek him. Seek what he's calling you to do now. Life doesn't start when you get married. Life is already here. You know, seek what God is calling you to do now. All right. I'm going to take the spotlight off the singles now for a little while. I think they're feeling, yep, that's enough now. Okay, give us a break. So, godly families. Has anybody else noticed that the traditional family unit has come under major attack in the culture war that we are in? The culture we are in will tell you that you do not need, that a child does not need both their mother and their father. Now, I will say, because I don't want anybody hurt here, life is messy. Life is not perfect. And Even if we're living our best and seeking God, sometimes things happen, okay? I get it. And we can't control what our spouse decides to do either. So sometimes, no, if we want to fix something or we want to work on something, sometimes if the other person is not willing, there is not much you can do. And sometimes it is a good thing that divorce is available, because I don't want anybody to be stuck in abuse, you know, or unfaithfulness. And that there are good reasons for divorce and there are sometimes things that even if you are willing to work on, you can't fix because it takes two. So I don't want anybody here to feel like this is an attack or anything on you, okay? We love you. Doesn't matter what's happened in your past, God loves you. There is a life and a plan and a future for you. But we need to fight for traditional godly families. We should be aiming to have that ourselves, to be able to bring up our children with their mother and their father because it is, um, that is what's causing so much upset in the world today. 
it is, um, there are so many studies that have shown that a child thrives best when they are brought up by their mother and their father who are married. That is the absolute best circumstance for a child. Now, it doesn't mean that if you're a single parent that your child is not going to do well, okay? I'm just saying this is what we should be aiming for. This is the goal. This is what God has created and said it is good. So we need to fight for this in our culture. This is a major part of the culture war. When um, families break up, there is national instability. It affects the whole nation because people have less money, so it affects the economy because you've broken up. So there's only a single income or there's more people on welfare. There's more um, poverty. There is more hardship. Everybody suffers from this culture war. Nobody's winning. The way to win is to do things God's way. So as I was praying about this, I felt God um, bring me to a scripture in Nehemiah. So I'm just going to ask you to pop that one up. It's Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 14 to 18. So bear with me as I read through it a bit, but I'll give you a moment to catch up in your Bibles. Um, Nehemiah 4, verse 14 to 18. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. I'm going to give you a little bit of context. Nehemiah was called to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem after they had been destroyed and um, Israel had been exiled to Babylon. He had been given permission from the king um, to build the walls but then there were people around that were in great opposition to that. They did not want Jerusalem to have its walls rebuilt. And they were mocking them saying, oh, if a fox ran over that, that wall would crumble again. And then there were um, plots to actually start a war against these people rebuilding the wall. So after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. And from that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armour. The officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. I feel this is a really strong scripture that is for now. This part in particular, do not be afraid of them. So I'm talking about the culture war here. Do not be afraid for God is with you. It says here, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. And I also find it really interesting in this scripture that the builders, they were building with one hand and they had a weapon in the other And that's what it's going to take in this culture war. We've got to try and rebuild families. 
We've got to try and rebuild the culture. Like we go to these walk for life, abortion things. We go, we're sending emails to um, MPs. This is the sort of stuff that we're doing to fight this culture war. Okay, and we need to support each other. And those areas where the wall has been crumbling down, we need to start rebuilding it. And we do that by speaking to people with truth and wisdom. That's how we're going to start rebuilding society. And we need to pray. That's our weapon. Because as we start to rebuild, there will be opposition. As we try to fight this culture war, there will be opposition. People will attack you. And you need to get into a a place where you can be okay with that and just know who you are and who God has called you to be. Nehemiah was okay that people were going to come and attack them. It did not stop him. It wasn't like, oh no, they're going to come after us. We better stop building the wall. It's like, no, we're going to build the wall still and we're going to fight at the same time. And that's what we need to do in this culture war. We need to start rebuilding society and it's going to be a long war, okay? Um, it's going, we need to start seeing revival. So we need to start telling people the truth of God because the more people who start believing in God, the more people will start living by this book. The more people that start living according to God's way will change society, We need to pray. We need to seek God for what He is calling us to do in this culture war now and with our families. So we need to fight to keep our family strong. So you're in a position where you need to invest into your children. And because we need to think about what future do we want for our children? What future do we want for our grandchildren? What world do we want them to live in? And that's what we've got to fight for. So I've been seeking God, what do you want me to do? And he's given me one simple thing at the moment and that's during my lunch breaks at work. I'm, I'm feeling called to walk around the uni in Adelaide and pray. So that's what I'm doing in my lunch breaks. I'm going for a beautiful walk in a beautiful area and I'm praying. I'm praying for God to give the Christians in that uni boldness and strength because that would be a really tough place to be in right now. I'm praying for revival in that place. I want to encourage you today to seek God for what your part in this culture war is. Okay, that was pretty tough, wasn't it? (laughs) Oh, thank you. Okay, church, we're going to be strong and courageous. We are. We're going to fight the good fight. We're going to do what God has called us to do. And He will bless us and our children will be blessed and the next generations will be blessed because in God is the victory. The war is not lost. It is not lost. So I just want to ask us at the moment just to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I just want to ask if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, because I want to invite you today 
to make a decision that I made in this church when I was 15. And that is to say yes to God, to say, yes, I wanna follow You. Yes, I want to believe in Your Word and do what You have called me to do. And I tell you, ever since I've made that decision, my life has gone in a really good direction. God has guided me. He's been there for me. I've had ups and downs, but God has always been by my side. And I have never once regretted or turned back because I know who my Father is and that He loves me and wants what's best for me. And if you want Him to be your God as well, I just ask you to raise your hand right now because I'd love to lead you in a prayer. Who will say yes to Jesus right now? Just put up your hand and I'll pray with you. Okay, we're gonna say this prayer. Um, If you wanna say it in your heart or say it out loud with us, if you believe in it, then this is inviting God into your world. So I'm just gonna ask everyone to say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. Amen.